Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. I'm Chris Moran, host of Culture Conversations, and today you'll be hearing again from Timothy Brindle as he explains the incompatibility of critical race theory and the gospel. I trust you'll be encouraged. Recently, you got into some heat on the internet, man. You put out a couple tweets that got you in trouble. Uh, Maybe trouble, we could say. And then uh, you you responded with a couple uh, blog posts explaining your posts. And uh, you and I ended up talking a bit about that. So, brother, I would love for us to get into, you know, what was your motivation there? You, You said in one of your articles that you wrote or essays, I don't know what you would call them, blog posts, um, that you feel like you're recently liberated from, you know, a cage that you were in for quite some time, but didn't even really know that. Yeah. So can you explain what's going on there? Yes, absolutely. And so I really stand by my tweets and by my words on the internet. And I'm grateful that the Lord threw me into the discussion Mm. um, through those tweets. Um, I had been silent for some time. Um, uh, but within the last, uh, several months, uh, if not year, um, really began to realize a lot of the various, uh, words and phrases and concepts that I just kind of took for granted, uh, actually found their roots, uh, or, or in some way or another were influenced by what we would call critical race theory. Mm-hmm. I think it really hit me at the tragic, awful death of George Floyd, Mm. when I began to see how far people were taking these notions of systemic racism um, and seeing images of uh, white people kissing the feet of of black people, um, seeing an entire congregation of white people on their knees um, in the street, listening to a what we would call a woke sermon, um, confessing, uh, making a confession of, of faith, if you will, uh, renouncing their whiteness mm-hmm. um, in, in declaring a creed. Um, uh, and it began to really strike my wife and I both. And, and I must say, man, the Lord used her to help me realize um, how dangerous and destructive some of these ideas were. I mean, I remember just going in on, on um, people over the years in terms of trying to convince them of their white privilege um, and really helping them uh, see, trying to really help them see these things. And, and it just became quite clear. I was plagued by a sense of white guilt myself. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to try to unpack some of these things and even sure. use some of the slides, Chris, that you, yeah, you encouraged absolutely. me to. Great. Okay. You're, you're a teacher at heart, here. man, whether you're doing hip hop or <laughs> preaching a sermon or doing a podcast. Right. Praise God, man. I'm grateful. And so let's discuss racism and how it relates to the gospel. Okay. That's really crucial. This is um, sort of a, an overview of an article, uh, a longer article that I'm working on and that I hope to have up on timothybrindleministries.com as soon as possible which my wife pointed out, it's become a book. Uh, mm. So maybe actually- Maybe you are be. writing another book. That's right, bro. And so <laughs> I, I began to ask myself, where are these buzzwords coming from? And I would invite the listener to do the same. 
things like white privilege, systemic racism, anti-racism is very popular, mm-hmm. blackness and whiteness, white guilt. And then some of these other terms maybe aren't quite as popular, but they are becoming more uh, common. Intersectionality, positionality, cultural hegemony, and even something like identity politics. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is, on one way or another, they're either directly or indirectly influenced by critical race theory. What I will um, use with abbreviations from this point on, CRT at times. And so what in the world is critical race theory? Well, critical race theory is one of many critical theories. The purpose of critical theories is to uh, expose, sorry, uh, injustices, abuses of power, and hidden biases that exist in a society's system, in their institutions. And so most scholars trace critical theory back to Karl Marx all the way back to the mid-1800s. Karl Marx himself um, was an atheist. He was a materialist. He only believed in the physical. Mm -hmm. He did not believe in the spiritual reality. But as a German philosopher, Karl Marx noticed the oppressed working class were being oppressed by uh, the oppressors who were the ruling class. And he longed to see the oppressed working class rise up and overthrow uh, the, the ruling class. And this is what we call classical Marxism. Mm-hmm. But what was classical Marxism soon um, influenced uh, people from the Frankfurt School and, and Italian Marxist Antonio Gramsci uh, to start to consider, I think, I think the problems are deeper than just economic, as Marx pointed out. Rather, the the problems have to do with the very structure of society and culture, what they called cultural hegemony. Cultural hegemony is is uh, the uh, is are the groups who dominate and rule social institutions, and the way they rule rule these institutions, according to uh, uh, the, these Marxists, and in particular the Frankfurt School, they rule it through their ideologies, through their ideas. And so the goal is, if you can change the ideas, and if you can even change the language, if you can deconstruct the language of the powerful, then you can transform society in these ways that they thought would be positive. So to put some some teeth to this and and to make it tangible, cultural hegemony today, uh, those in power, so-called those in power, those would be white, male, heterosexual, cisgendered. Which which means you identify with your biological assignment at birth, you're male or female. Well said, brother. Able-bodied as opposed to disabled, native-born Americans, and you can even throw in Protestant Christian. Mm. They are said to have power over their opposites in order to oppress and, and dominate them. And so this is what we would call cultural Marxism, which is really very much uh, in the background of, of critical race theory. But before we get more into critical race theory, to show the oppressed and oppressor groups. Notice here on this chart, um, which is from D'Angelo and, and Sensoy's book, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for Neil Shenvey. Neil Shenvey's website is very useful. This screenshot is, is thanks to him. 
Um, now, is this the uh, White Fragility book here? This one is not. I'm okay. going to get into White Fragility quite okay. a bit, but this is one that she wrote with uh, with a, a, a gentleman named Senzoi. Okay. Um, in in uh, it, it's the the name of the book is Is Everyone Really Equal? Mm. But as you can see here on this chart, you have the uh, the minority groups on the left according to their 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 various levels of 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 power or or class and on the right the dominant group mm-hmm. so you would see based on this chart it's the white dominant group that would oppress people of color and what kind of oppression is that what ism is it it's, it's racism and so going down into the third category as you uh pointed out uh, Brother Chris, you have cisgendered men or males um, who would who oppress just by being in their in their class. We'll get into that. Woman or transgender or gender queer people, and that's called sexism. And so here's a quote from D'Angelo and Senzoi on what we call in, what they call intersectionality. They say, for every social group, there is an opposite group. Although we are individuals, we are also, and perhaps fundamentally, members of social groups. These group memberships shape us as profoundly, if not more so than any unique characteristic we may claim Mm. to possess. So making the membership of the social group more fundamental than the individualness is the primary thing going on there. That's exactly right, bro. And this notion of intersectionality um, uh, invented by, by, by Kimberly Crenshaw in, 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 in its more current ways, it was really meant to show the ways that someone can be oppressed in, uh, in more ways than one. Multiple dimensions. Multiple dimensions. So the, inter- the idea of intersection is, as opposed to crossing a one-way street and getting hit by the truck of racism, uh, if you're a black woman, you you're going you're you're going through an intersection, and you can get hit uh, in from multiple directions, mm-hmm. and then going all the way down uh, in uh, in the various groups here. Um, so you can actually experience five, six, sevenfold oppression, uh, according uh, to uh, intersectionality. This other chart, very helpful, really brings out the point that the various groups um, that are the oppressors, they're actually privileged groups, as I have highlighted there. They have the privilege of being in this particular group, which they, just by being in the group, oppress uh, the, the opposite group. And so notice, notice yeah, so uh, not, on that not, note. Not even actively doing anything to the other person, but rather just existing as you are. That's right. And we see that in the quote, no individual member of the dominant group has to do anything specific to oppress a member of the minoritized group. Rather, impression involves institutional control, ideological domination, and the imposition, the forcing of the dominant group's culture on the minority, on the minoritized group. And so you see even here, uh, based on this chart, you would have Pro, that you you have Protestants as the privileged social groups, who it says that they target Jews, Muslims, and Hindus. I found that pretty striking, and obviously there are instances throughout uh, world history where Protestant Christians sinfully 
oppressed and abused people from other religious groups. Sure. But I think we'd actually have to wonder, should it not be the other way around? Primarily nowadays, it's, 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 it's Protestant Christians. And this has been true since the early church, um, going back through the Old Testament. It's actually people of other religions who have persecuted um, and, and that's and, and that's a, a very biblical ca- category for, mm-hmm. for for oppression. Have persecuted Protestant uh, uh, Bible believing Christians, but yeah, we'll get started. onto that. There you yeah. go, bro. Yeah, yeah that's right. In, in Jesus Himself. And w- real quick, though, let me throw in something clarifying. Yeah, you know, I, I think you would agree that we can look back into the past and see, uh, you know, race racist oppression, if you want to use that word of, you know, slavery and Jim Crow laws. And and you point this out in one of your essays that you've written, but you're not denying any of that either by bringing up these categories. That's exactly right. And, and that brings us to the next slide, brother Chris, um, as we continue to ask, what is critical race theory? And I would say critical race theory has rightly observed and noticed and highlighted and exposed the invention of race Mm -hmm. as a social construct that was wicked, Mm -hmm. uh, that, that is evil, that is used to exploit, uh, that is used for the sake of power. Uh, It was originally to justify slavery and it was to advance those classified as white. Mm -hmm. And it was at the expense of black people. And this is something that people like W.E.B. Du Bois observed bef- before any critical race theorists sure. were on the scene. Yep. Um, civil rights leaders, both during the civil rights era and after, uh, observed these things. Um, and so this brings into view the, the reality uh, that has existed in our country of what we would call, and critical race theory uses this phrase quite a bit, systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we must agree, it's undeniable that such institutional and systemic racism existed mm-hmm. even after the abolition of slavery yeah. in 1865, all Red the way through the Jim Crow. Yeah, that's right. And it was in laws. Mm-hmm. It was in the laws, discrimination uh, in, 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 in the Jim Crow laws and the separate but equal mm-hmm. laws. Yep all the way up to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, And so I myself am by no way denying the reality of systemic racism uh, that it has existed in our country. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the the, the next point, the third arrow. According to Robin DiAngelo, though, in most average Americans today, and this is what got me in trouble on Mm -hmm. Twitter, Institutional systemic racism continues to this day. And in the way that she summarizes it in White Fragility, which I will abbreviate as WF moving forward in Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, she says, we can tell that's the case because people of color are blocked from moving forward in America. Or when you see a man like George Floyd being murdered or before that, um, others like Michael Brown being um, being shot and killed. And so these things only uh, seem to prove that systemic racism continues. And the critical race theorist in particular is really interested in drawing on the fact that there is 
a disparity or a, a unequal outcome between people of color and white people in terms of economics and education uh, and, and, and success and poverty. And so anytime you see unequal outcome, that itself for the critical race theorist is evidence. Mm-hmm. There are racist policies. There, there has to be because of the unequal outcome. And this is very interesting. And at this point, I just want to step back and begin to, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, um, but I have been studying this and, and thinking through, and obviously racism still exists today. Sure. There are still uh, acts of discrimination. There are still institutions that oppress and exploit um, people of color and, and black people in specific, uh, in particular. Um, but uh, to, to quote Shelby Steele, what makes you think that race has anything to do or has everything to do with the disparities? Is race the real cause of disparity? Uh, African-American economist Thomas Sowell, he makes the point that if you look at who has money, and, and we're talking about material uh, uh, privilege and, and riches in, in success, who has education and money and success in America, is race the real cause for disparity? Or is it those who have education and have children in wedlock and stay married and those who don't? And I think it's a pretty interesting and compelling argument that when you have, quote unquote, white people who, who don't finish high school, who have children out of wedlock uh, or don't stay married, oftentimes uh, they are in in a pretty bad place uh, financially. Mm -hmm. And African-Americans who uh, not only finish high school, uh, but go on and get a job, learn a trade or graduate from college, have children in wedlock and stay married are oftentimes um, in middle or upper middle or upper class uh, America. And so I began to wonder, based on some of these statistics, notice here on this chart, Asians, Asian America, and that's very broad, they're at the very bottom of Which the non-marital. Brother, I'm I'm seeing still the what is critical race theory. Okay, so sorry. Yeah. I, I I thought that I had uh switched. And so what I'm gonna do, uh, I'm gonna stop sharing, I'm gonna screen share again okay. uh, and move on to something else. Here we are. Okay. So on this chart okay. here, it's non-marital birth rates in the United States. Um, notice that um, uh, Asians are at the very uh, bottom of the chart in terms of non-marital birth rates. So about 15 or 16 percent of Asians are born out of wedlock. That's the lowest out of all of these various uh, ethnic uh, or racial people groups. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence on that note that Asians are actually uh, the most successful financially and academically. Um, For instance, in 2018, $87,243 a year is the average income of an Asian American compared to $65,902. Well, they have much higher 
uh, uh, rates in terms of bachelor's and master's degrees, that same um, difference of 30.7% of Asian Americans have a bachelor's degree uh, compared to 23.7% of, of, of white Americans and 17.9% of Asians have master's degrees compared to 10.5%. That's a very similar uh, gap between uh, white and black people. And so a person would say, well, you know, that's, that's Asian Americans. That's not necessarily, uh, that doesn't tell the whole picture. And Asian Americans, that's very broad. Well, what's very interesting is the 4 million Indian Americans in the United States have a median household income of $123,000, um, way above what's, what's, what's average. Uh, that the average American household income uh, is in the 60,000s. Sixty-five thousand nine hundred and two is actually the average white American uh, uh, median income, and so you'd say, okay, these are some people of color who are doing well, but not necessarily black people in America. And what's very interesting is when you look at black Nigerian immigrants. Black Nigerian immigrants had an average household income of $68,658 in 2018, compared to $61,937 for the average U.S. So uh, they they make above average, not to mention they surpassed white Americans. Hmm. And what's very interesting also, many uh, economists have pointed out, Nigerians have a very uh, like a high likelihood of, of having jobs and staying married. Um, and so this is just a little example of the fact that uh, I, I'm not so sure race has everything to do with it. Yeah, it's now more it's, complex than just the color of your skin. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And then there's so many uh, successful African-Americans whose stories don't fit in with the critical race theorists, and they're actually told not to speak up. Mm. They're told not to uh, share their story. Uh, and so I'm going to go back now uh, to our, our previous slide okay. uh, and begin to, be- to ask, um, what is critical race theory in terms of what are the assumptions of critical race theory? What are the be- what's the belief system behind critical race theory? And the purpose of this, Brother Chris, is mm-hmm. to help us see in these last few minutes, critical race theory is not compatible with, with the biblical gospel. Mm-hmm. And so questions, is the Bible uh, is, is that front and center for the critical race theory? The fact that the Bible is the perfect word of God that interprets reality for us uh, is, is a sense of objective truth. Is, is that uh, an assumption of the critical race theorist? How about the triune God as the good creator and the redeemer and the judge of humanity? How about image of God, that humans are creating God's image as actually one race, and not only uh, as a collective one, but as individuals. Uh, That in the image of God, God created him, uh, male and female, God created them. So showing the one and the many. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there you go. Humans are male and female. Is this Mm -hmm. what what critical race theory believes? Does it believe in God's good sexual design? Mm -hmm. And very interestingly, does it believe in God's good created order Mm -hmm. of male headship? Well, the reality is 
Critical mm-hmm. race theory doesn't believe in any of those. Those who are coming from a, a pure critical race theory framework. Mm-hmm. And so that should cause us to caution uh, it, for, when it comes to dabbling in critical race theory or attempting to use it as a helpful, quote unquote, analytical tool for Christianity. I, I, I want to argue from this point on critical race theory is incompatible with a Christian worldview. And so here are some of, there's, there's many more, but some of the most striking, I think, important assumptions or beliefs or presuppositions uh, that the critical race theory uh, uh, model and framework has that we need to be aware of. One, the critical race theorist believes society is oppressive by default. Mm. It automatically must be. Notice what D'Angelo and Sensoy say. Work from the knowledge that the societal default is oppression. There are no spaces free of it. Thus, the question becomes, how mm-hmm. is it manifesting here? Rather than, is oppression manifesting itself mm-hmm. here? And she says the same thing. D'Angelo says the same thing in White Fragility. She does not attempt to prove that racism exists. Rather, quoting her, I start from that premise. Mm. The question is not, did racism take place? For that is to be assumed, but rather, how did racism manifest in that situation? So a few questions that we should begin to ask is, now, as one who believes in the, in the doctrine of total depravity, that humans are morally corrupt, uh, and that we are, are depraved completely by sin. And since individuals are depraved, groups are depraved, mm-hmm. institutions must be mm-hmm. depraved, societies are depraved. This seems to fit in with a biblical worldview. But notice that oppression and racism, that's their starting point. Right. For us, God's good creation is uh, mm-hmm. the starting point. And then the fall. Right. Uh, and not to mention, in the Bible, total depravity is not necessarily utter depravity right because of god's good common grace which he uh, shines the sun on the just and the unjust and actually restrains evil mm-hmm. humans don't necessarily always express all of the their potential depravity that's right and i would begin to want to ask people can you think of any societies that have ever that were not oppressive or were not racist even think about a society like Jerusalem under the kingship of, of King David and Solomon before right. uh, their great falls into sin. Sure, there was, they were stained with sin, but to say that the entire society was only oppressive, maybe it was oppressive toward women in certain ways, but was it only always oppressive? How about Geneva under John Calvin? Um, sure, Calvin was a sinner, and, and I'm sure you know, it was stained with sin, but to say that Geneva was completely oppressive or other cities or other institutions like the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which yes, has sin, mm-hmm. but will the church always be oppressive and always be racist? Well, according to the critical race theory by default, yes. And now here's a question I have for the critical race theories, theorist, Robin D'Angelo. If society is by default oppressive, and those in, in power are oppressive, if they're replaced mm-hmm. by your definition, 
the new groups in power, they will automatically also be oppressive, right. according to the critical race theory. It's, 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 it's a vicious cycle. That would be the utopia, though. Like That would be the new heavens and the new earth in that sense. You're the right. Reversal of the power. That's correct. Yeah. And, and, and if you can see there, it's actually a borrowing of a Christian worldview. It's borrowed capital. It's mm. a borrowed eschatology, but it's attempting to do it by man's works. Mm. Uh, and we know Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you. Not that we should not seek to defend right. the rights of the poor and give out of our own um, uh, wealth uh, f- for the poor. And by the way, poor doesn't equal black in the Bible. That, right. that, that's something we'll get into as well. Um, but yeah, great point there, brother. And so this leads us to the next point, the next assumption. According to critical race theory, only whites can be racist. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they're the only ones in power. This is what Robin D'Angelo says. Only whites can be racist in the United States because only whites have the collective social and institutional power and privilege over people of color. People of color do not have this power and privilege over white people. No, brother Chris, this means... If your boss is an African-American or the owner of your company is an Mm -hmm. African-American and they are oppressive toward you, uh, they are partial, a a more biblical category, they are partial toward Mm -hmm. you, yep, because of your skin color, because of your background, that's not racism, according to critical race theory. Um, That's a very unique definition and very narrow definition that only allows one group to be racist and no other groups have that possibility. I want to emphasize real quick one thing you said for those who are listening and watching. You you said something really important. You said this is a presupposition that is an interpretive grid to see all things through. And so for Christians, that is what the Bible with Jesus at the center of it should be for us. We should have the Bible, the biblical worldview with Jesus and the gospel at the center. That should be our interpretive grid, not uh, this theory, if you will. Just wanted to throw that out there as a clarifying statement. That's so helpful, brother. And please continue to do that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll need it um, as, as I'm trying to pack in a lot here. But I, I think if we think even more biblically, um, yes, oppression is 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 all throughout the scriptures as um, uh, something that sinners do, image bearers do to others, uh, and that Satan ultimately um, has sought to do uh, to humanity. Um, uh, but but partiality is something that all sinners uh, are capable of and and guilty of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so remember uh, that the cultural Marxist uh, knew that ideas. Uh, in ideologies, that's what holds sways over people. That's what holds sway and in, in, in force over people. So when you get that and you run it through a postmodern mm. uh, goal of changing language, now let's redefine racism. Let's redefine systemic racism. It's not just when the, the, the laws are racist. It's, you know, it, it's, it will always be systemic yeah, an invisible racism. reality that That's can't right. be overcome. It just shifts and moves and changes and morphs. That's yeah. correct. Very good. Now, yeah. racism, according to critical race theory, is completely connected to white privilege. Racism privileges whites in the advantages that white people enjoy in these privileges. But these privileges cannot be similarly, in, similarly, similarly enjoyed by people of color in the same context government, community, workplace, schools, and so on. And so that means uh, that, 
you know, pick a pick an African American uh, millionaire, they cannot enjoy the same privileges that a, a white millionaire or or even someone like even someone a white person in the six figures or or, or five figures would make mm-hmm. according to the system. Mm-hmm. And by definition, white privilege is totally connected to white guilt. Mm-hmm. By pri- by having these privileges, whites are guilty. There's an indictment against all quote unquote white people. And Robin D'Angelo goes on to say what's front and center and at the back and underneath of our whiteness is an anti-blackness, which she even calls a hatred of Mm. blackness. So it's very strong uh, indictments. Notice also racism is more of a structure than an event. Mm. This is from White Fragility. Racism is not mere prejudice or discrimination the way that you and I grew up thinking of racism, Brother Chris. Mm nor is it discrete acts committed by individual people, but rather it's a complex interconnected system, hence systemic racism. And so there is a bit of a looking down on that old school uh, understanding of racism, Brother Chris. Uh, So here she says, that's the simplistic idea that racism is limited to individual intentional acts committed by unkind people that that's at the root of virtually all white defensiveness on the topic. Mm. Now, I'm quoting a lot from Robin D'Angelo because white fragility, and I should have prefaced uh, this, it is in the hands of pastors. Mm. And uh, pastors I know are using it for pastoral guidance and mm. for counseling. And it's being Christianized and taught in all different kinds of uh, programs like Be the Bridge, uh, which actually uses uh, uh, white identity, white fragility, and, and um, uh, 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 white supremacy uh, at, for, for Christians to understand their own racism, white Christians, that is. Mm-hmm. Do you find it ironic at all that D'Angelo is white herself? I really do. And, and what's tough about it. Um, is, is she gives a lot of defense over that fact that she herself is white, but she appears to be very humble okay. in acknowledging her own racism. Okay. In fact, she is very clear. She is racist. She has to be. Why? Because she participates in, in the privileges yeah. of, of white people and so on. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yet, what's very interesting is Robin D'Angelo, she gets very inconsistent in her book because when it comes to actual Acts, racist acts of doing something where, where you, you make a comment or a statement or you discriminate against someone or you mistreat someone. She actually apologizes at the end of her book. She shares a story of how she apologizes to an African-American woman due to a comment she made, and she confesses that as racism. And so it's very interesting that the only tangible racism that she's able to actually confess and repent of is the actual racist act that is an event, mm-hmm. <laughs> not necessarily um, this. Uh, this in the system. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, this system, it's pervasive. This construct of race, it must dictate our lives. It has 
a really dark determinism, I, I would call it. Notice this quote, race will influence whether we will survive our, our birth, where we are most likely to live, which schools we will attend, who our friends and partners will be, what careers we will have, how much money we will earn, how healthy we'll, we will be, and even how long we can expect to live. It must, it will. It's omnipresent. Uh, one critical race theorist says that uh, that D'Angelo quotes, it's permanent. It's utterly pervasive, pervasive. And so this actually is is really unhelpful in in, in my understanding, brother Chris, for an African American to have to. Uh, use this as the grid for their own mm. existence. There's a really Interpreting helpful reality through. That's right. That's right. Mm. A, a really helpful book um, uh, called "Escaping the Racism of Low Expectations," um, uh, written by a woman named Barbara from Harlem. That's that's her her auth- her author name, mm. and she herself um, makes the points that um, these ideas of racism have were extremely. Um, uh, unhelpful for her as if she has to have her life dictated mm. by these constructs of race, which by the way, I find it very interesting that although critical race theory rightly exposes that race is an evil construct, they never seek to get out of that construct or get out of that terminology, but they live in it. Instead of wanting to redefine humans according to scripture as one Adamic race from different tribes, tongues, nations, and people groups and ethnicities as the scriptures do. They live and move and breathe and have their being in the white, black uh, conception uh, and, and identity. And in fact, mm. even reinforce that identity. I, I find that to be very, very interesting. Mm. Um, only one or two more assumptions b- b- before we, 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 we move on here. A very important one is white solidarity. The oneness of whites, the white collective and so, Brother Chris, the collective is not Tim Brindle, Zay the Blacksmith, and Stephen the Levite. <laughs> it's the white collective here. White solidarity. It's, it's a covenant federal people group, if you will, want to use theological language. White solidarity is the unspoken agreement. It's a contract. It's, it's a covenant uh, that, that whites, it's an agreement that whites have to protect white advantage and not cause another white person and to feel racial discomfort. this unsaid agreement, right? This That's right. This would not be a actual, like behind closed doors, you know, plot written out somewhere. That's right. And she knows it, Chris, because she knows the white consciousness, Mm. the white consciousness. She knows what she calls the white mind, Mm. the white, she calls it the white worldview. She knows what you're thinking, white people. Yeah, in one sense, it's, it's a projection maybe of her own guilt and sense of this theory that she's projecting on all people that look like her. That's exactly right. Hmm. And so I think it goes without saying, um, you know, with, with a quote like this uh, that, that Michael Eric Dyson has in the forward of white fragility, race is the original sin. Hmm. It's clear that critical race theory has, its, has a different worldview, and therefore we must reject it as a false gospel hmm. and as a false religion and actually as a cult. This helpful chart by Neil Shenby shows that Christianity and critical theory, including critical race theory, they're actually competing worldviews. There is no creation for critical theory, unlike Christianity. 
Um, fall, the fall for them is oppression. It is racism. Redemption is not the work of Christ. It's activism. It's acknowledging your white privilege and renouncing it. And restoration, as you said, their utopia, it's, it's, it's equality. Uh, it's, it's equal uh, outcomes, not necessarily equal opportunity, uh, not to mention not the new heavens and the new earth. Right. And so... Um, Which we would say as Christians, we are absolutely 100% for equal opportunity for all peoples. We would say 100% amen. It's when you try right. to force outcomes and historically right. that gets really bloody. Uh, that's true. It's not good. That's right. And it usually looks like communism. Yeah. Um, to, to, to force outcomes or totalitarianism. That's right. And can you still see my screen here, yep. brother Chris? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we must reject critical race theory, brothers and sisters, as a false gospel because it replaces God as the judge. It imputes guilt, meaning it counts in, in, in uh, guilt, uh, indicts all white people as white supremacists, not based on on individual intentions, quoting Robin D'Angelo, or actions, but to an overarching political, economic, and social system of domination. Again, racism is a structure, not an event. Mm -hmm. Now, a question is, does the living God impute guilt to all European Americans, whether we want to be classified as white or not, whether we even use whiteness as our identity, whether we uh, admit we've benefited from being in the white social structure or not, uh, does God indict us as guilty? Well, critical race theory does, uh, but but I would argue in, from the scriptures that actually God judges sinners and evaluates the person based on their works, based on their actions, mm-hmm. based on their motives and intentions and desires of the heart. He does it impartially according to their deeds, according to the works of their hands, as some mm-hmm. of those passages show. Yeah, and and the again, dead were judged according to what was written in the books. And that's the, right. what was written in the books were their deeds and their motives and their words, etc. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. That's Even Robin D'Angelo asked for forgiveness for her racist work, her racist mm-hmm. act. So this false covenantalism, where it lumps all white people together, so it, it doesn't matter, matter whether you're in Adam or you're in Christ, <laughs> which are the ultimate covenant groups right. that God right. views all humans through, but rather whether you're in whiteness or blackness. Now, we have to admit, there is a such thing as corporate sin. Mm-hmm. God deals with nations and even judges nations when various nations sin, and he judges the entire nation. Yeah. But that gets nuanced in Scripture. For instance, Ezekiel 18, 19 through 20, shows that God does not actually deal with people in the group who themselves are not participants of those wicked acts. Listen to the Lord say in Ezekiel 18, 19 to 20, Yet you say, why should not the Son suffer for the iniquity of the Father? When the Son has done what is just and right and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. The soul who sins shall die. And so for the Lord, 
Um, I, I can, I, by the way, I totally agree. It was, it was evil to, to, to own and to sell slaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was evil to discriminate against African-Americans mm-hmm. and, and to mistreat them because of the color of their skin, to hate them and despise them. Um, in, uh, in, all of the wicked acts are condemned by the Lord and they will either be paid for in hell or at the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, to indict every single person who has skin like myself um, as as guilty in this collective whiteness is is just not biblical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, First Timothy one ten right it says it condemns the slave traders or the man stealers. So that's a biblical right. you know it is a sin. Um, we right. would say absolutely hundred percent. However, as you just quoted Ezekiel eighteen nineteen to twenty, God would not. Uh, put me on judgment for, you know, people from the 16, 17, 1800s. I'm not going to give an account for them. That's a really striking point you made from first Timothy one 10 in terms of man stealing. Mm-hmm. What's very interesting is historically it's been proven. Most of the African slaves that were kidnapped uh, were not necessarily kidnapped by the European slave traders who were guilty and I'm not justifying their, their right. evil acts, but by other Africans. Right. And sold um, then to sold then European. that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yep. So Africans are guilty yep. in the, in the, in the African slave trade, mm-hmm. not to mention the Arab slave trade had 17,000 African slaves compared to 12,000 in the European. And I'm not saying that justifies right. the European, Absolutely. but to say that racism was invented uh, or, or even race-based slavery, uh, it's very clear from, uh, 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 from certain Muslim writings that, that, that share the life of, of Muhammad. He himself uh, was, uh, had black slaves. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's quite likely that slavery uh, from an Arab and a Muslim perspective was influenced by these Muslim uh, writings. Mm-hmm. So even to blame Christianity is, is just... Yeah, I mean, you go back to the Exodus and the end of Genesis right. and you see slavery. It, it, it sadly, it's been a universal reality from the beginning up until very modern times. That's correct. Very, very good point, brother. And so and again, I, I want to emphasize what you just said. You're not trying to make excuses for anybody. You're not right. You're saying it was wrong. The guilty. Um, that's but right. to say this is a white thing would be very inaccurate. That's true, brother. Great point. And when it comes to the sons of Noah, you know, the, the sons of Noah, you have uh, uh, through the, the line of Ham, mm-hmm. uh, you, you have um, Egypt oppressing and enslaving those in the line of, of, of Shem, Israel. Uh, you have uh, those in uh, the, the, the line uh, of, of, of Shem, um, you know, Arab slave traders of those in the line of Ham. Uh, the Africans. Uh, you have uh, those in the line of, of, of Japheth, Euro- Europeans, um, enslaving those in the line of, of Ham. And so the, the, when it comes to the sons of Noah, they're all guilty. Right. Right. And it's and only all, one of the sons of Noah. That's, That's right. right. One who came from the line of Shem, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came for every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so I, I want to close off with the fact that critical race theory is a false gospel because it's a workspace religion. Now, these are the works. <laughs> these are the works that uh, I, I laid out that even just in Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, that she must do 
to rid herself, to try to rid herself of her white guilt. These are the commandments. Uh, these are the works that we must be doing to be doing the works of the CRT God uh, in order to be right. Um, ultimately, I strive for a less white identity for my own liberation and sense of justice. She has to save herself. She has to move past guilt through action. And this is how she has to strive to be less white, to be less whites, to be less racially oppressive. She has to take action. She has to, uh, therefore follow the leadership of anti-racism. Uh, she has to pursue white discomfort. White comfort maintains the status quo. Uh, build as many relationships with people of color. See racism as a matter of life and death. Do your homework. Educate yourself. Seek out information from books, websites, films. Demand that white fragility and anti-racism curriculum be taught in schools and universities, which it is, by the way. Mm -hmm. Get involved in organizations like Black Lives Matter. Meditate on your, your privileges that you enjoy as a white person and mourn over that. Kind of like the Puritan said, you know, think about your, your sinfulness and be broken before the Lord. For her, it's think about your, your guilty whiteness. Uh, love getting feedback and rebuke for all your racist tendencies. Um, you know, again, the best thing she did was to ask for forgiveness for a real act of mm. racism. But she says, nevertheless, I'll never be completely free of racism. There's, there's actually no real redemption. Therefore, keep doing your devotions. Return to the list of these underlying assumptions, she says. And most importantly, break the silence with other white people. Educate white people uh, uh, and help them see. And so at the end of the day, no, brothers and sisters, we need to believe the gospel. And this is a quote by Tom Askell from a book I really recommend uh, called By What Standard, uh, from a chapter there called White Privilege, The New Original Sin. This is what he says. The concept of white privilege places a stain on white people that can never completely be removed and can only be partially lessened if they consciously check their white privilege and get back on the pathway to awakening. Do you see what this does? It prevents the white person from being justified, the one who accepts the notion that he's cursed with white privilege. He must live in a state of perpetual guilt because of something over which he has no control. He cannot check his privilege enough. He cannot repent enough to make amends for his privilege. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. John 8, 36. That's good. And so, brothers and sisters, we are not necessarily privileged as white people. Anyone in Christ is privileged because we have every privilege, every grace, every benefit is ours in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. Yes, we must repent of real acts of racism and prejudice mm -hmm. and partiality, which any of us are able to do. Yes, seek justice for all who really are oppressed, mm -hmm. and I would argue even the unborn, mm -hmm. and expose evil. But it must really be truly evil and not just a notion characterized by the media necessarily. Mm. Car uh, carry out the great commission by making disciples. That is how uh, a, a real transformational change happens in families. Mentored boys, teens, young men for fatherhood, do the same for girls for motherhood and ultimately fall in, the fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who reconciles us to himself into each other, into each other. So brother Chris, I know your church is a great picture of the, of the, of the unifying reconciling power of the gospel mm. that reconciles Jew and Gentile people from every ethnicity, tribe and tongue. And even under this construct of race, black and white, mm-hmm. not only to the Lord, but to one another. Right. And so anything to, 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 to close us off with brother in light of that. Yeah, man, I, I'm so thankful that you've brought clarity uh, by putting the gospel, which does unify and which does forgive and that does liberate versus a a critical theory of CRT on the other side, which does not do any of those. Yes. Um, Al Mohler one time said with critical race theory, there's a lot of confession and repentance and no redemption. That's right. And and it's not the gospel. It's not good news. So I'm, I'm thankful that you clarified that very well. Um, and brother, maybe what we could end with is what would you say, uh, to somebody who is, who is stuck in this worldview? Cause I think it's a worldview. It's a way of viewing the world. That's right. Um, who might be a Christian? Like, what yeah. would you say to them, man? With, with, you know, gentleness and respect. Yeah. I would want to ask them, do you evangelize? And, and if, and I, as a Christian, I, I hope they would evangelize. And when you evangelize, is the gospel you share with a white person different than the gospel you share with a black person? Hmm. Because when I hear these woke pastors and woke preachers preach, they, they sometimes give a gospel presentation, but there's one gospel for black people who, who are oppressed And there's another gospel for white people who are the oppressors. Mm -hmm. So it's white people in particular who have to repent, in in particular of racism. But when, if you're an African-American and you share the gospel with the white person, do you have to change it? And if you're a white person and you share it with a white person or African, do you have to change up the gospel? Or have we all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God as those made in his image uh, in the one Adamic fallen race who our only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ, his forgiving grace, his transforming power? Uh, and so that would just be a question I want to ask them. And if you need to change your gospel message, then you know you've bought into another gospel. It's hmm. good, man. Yeah, brother, I appreciate the clarity and... And, you know, your story being shared before we went through the CRT stuff, I think is also so helpful because clearly you were in the black circles, if you will, if I could use that phraseology there, you know, you did not come from a place where it was all white people and, and, you know, you were in the rural, you know, lands of of the Midwest or something, you were immersed in, in these circles and you yourself were under this maybe CRT without having the name, right? Like right. you maybe absorbed these ideas and concepts, even feeling guilty, which you said your wife helped you to kind of break free from recently. True. That's correct. You're right, brother. And I'm still in circles um, with African-Americans and Africans, many of who are very troubled by the critical race theory mm-hmm. and yeah. are in disagreement with yeah, it. Absolutely. Me too. Um, and not only see it as divisive for the gospel, uh, but unhelpful for, for society at large. So mm-hmm. yes, brother. Amen. Yeah. I'm with you, bro. Yeah, man. Thank you. I, I'm looking forward absolutely. to the book, dude. <laughs> you got All right, a man. good start on it so far. <laughs> Praise God, bro. Thank you for your helpful clarifications, brother Chris. May the Lord keep blessing your ministry. And man, we, you, you, you got yourself a nice, 
long podcast. I wonder if it's going to need a, a part one and a part two, but I'll, I'll let we, you edit it. I like necessary. the long form ones, brother, Great. but I would love to have you on again and we could talk. Great, we man. could talk again soon, man. I'd love to, bro. Blessings to you, brother Chris. You too, brother. Thank you. Love you, man. Thank you. Love you too, man. All right, Bye. Peace.